Now, did you find the fifth chapter of Galatians? Notice the 22nd verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Really, the Greek word there is faithfulness. Faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, Paul here is not talking about fruit of the Holy Spirit. I said to you, I want to reiterate it, that the translators in translating into the English capitalize the letter S there, leaving you with the thought that that's the Holy Spirit he's talking about. It is not the Holy Spirit he's talking about. I can prove it to you by the Bible. First of all, I want to say this to you that Vine points out in his expository dictionary New Testament words, as also Canon Farah in his writings, that uh, particularly in Galatians, as Vine says, it's very difficult to see and to know whether Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit or the human spirit because there's only one Greek word for spirit and that's anuma. And you have to tell by the context whether he's talking about the Holy Spirit or the human spirit. Now, if you read this context carefully, you'll know that he's not talking about the Holy Spirit here, that he's talking about the, the human spirit. For this simple reason, notice that he said, the fruit of the spirit is first love. Remember that the Bible said that we know that we have passed from death unto life. Sometimes we quote these scriptures, maybe we just ought to turn and read it. Turn over to 1 John with me. Sometimes I think maybe we expect too much when we think folks know as much as we know. And they don't always do that. So turn here. John in his first epistle has much to say about love, if you'll notice that. But I want you to notice that he says this. That we know. Now not that we think so. Not that we hope so. That's the 14th verse now, the third chapter of 1 John. We know that we pass from death. That's spiritual death. Unto life. That's eternal life. Now how do we know it? Because we love the brethren. You see, the love is the first fruit. And that's the way Paul listed here. For the fruit of the Spirit is number one love. John says the same thing. We know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. Love is the first fruit of the recreated, born-again spirit. We're talking in these lessons about the development of the human spirit, and we've already talked about being born again, and the new birth, and read scriptures about that. And so you can see here that John says that the very first fruit in your life, as a result of being born again, is love. So this is the fruit of the recreated, born-again human spirit, not Holy Spirit. Now, secondly, you'll notice there as we go a little further that he said, uh, He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That means he abides in spiritual death. He's never been born again yet. Turn again with me to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. That was the first epistle of John. But turn to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John and let's read further scripture that will prove to you what I'm saying to you. That the fruit mentioned here is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't grow fruit. It is the fruit of the recreated, born-again human spirit. All right, let's read John 15. Jesus is speaking. I am the vine... And my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Now who's going to bear the fruit? Who's going to bear the fruit? The branch. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Where does the fruit grow? On the branch. Is that right? As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. The fruit that he's talking about in the fifth chapter of Galatians is the fruit that the born-again recreated human spirit grows or produces because of the life of Christ within. Now notice, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Well, Jesus said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Where does the fruit grow? It grows on the branches. Who is the branch? The Holy Spirit? No, the human spirit. We are the branches that produce the fruit. It's readily seen from this 15th chapter of John's Gospel then that the fruit he's talking about, the 5th chapter of Galatians, is the fruit of the born-again, recreated human spirit. The fruit grows there because of the life of Christ within. Praise God forevermore. So, we know. We know we pass of death unto life. We read it. We know we pass of death unto life. Now, why? Because we love the brethren. That's the very first fruit that shows up. Number one. You notice another one of them there was peace. Peace is a product of the born again, recreated human spirit. Now, notice Romans, the fifth chapter. This is just one incident. We could give you other scripture. But notice this fifth chapter of Romans and the very first verse. I could have quoted it but I wanted you to turn to it and read it and mark it down. Therefore, being justified by faith. Now, remember this. The word justified and righteous are the same from the Greek. Some translations read, therefore, being made righteous or therefore, being made right with God by faith. Paul says again, writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, 8, by grace are you saved through faith. When he said, therefore, being justified, Therefore, being made righteous, therefore, being made right by faith, he's talking about being saved, isn't he? I said, isn't he? Amen. All right. Therefore, being justified by faith, what is it we have? Peace. Not we're going to get peace when we get to heaven. Not sometime in the sweet by and by. Not after a while over yonder. But right now, blessed be God being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that one of the fruit of the Spirit that he talks about here is peace. Now, if you'll follow each one of these nine fruit of the Spirit there, you can find Scripture that'll prove to you that it's the fruit of the born-again, recreated human spirit. Praise God. That explains something to us that many people have wondered about, that bothered me when I as a young Baptist boy preacher and pastor years ago was filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Ghost, spoke with other tongues, came over among full gospel people because they had the Holy Ghost. And thinking that this is fruit of the Holy Ghost, I expected them to have more fruit, you see, produce more fruit, this fruit mentioned here, than Baptists or some other folks. I found more fruit among folks that didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and some that had. Are you listening to me? You see, for the simple reason, and I didn't know that then. And so it almost floored me. But I got into my Bible to find the answer. There has to be an answer somewhere. And some of those dear old saints that never heard about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I remember a dear old Baptist saint in our town, 80 some odd years old. I tell you, you just walk into her house and you can feel the presence of God. Sit down and talk with her. My, 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 that dear woman knew God. And she had more fruit than anybody I've ever seen. But she didn't know a thing in the world about being filled with the Holy Ghost speaking other tongues. I remember I was talking to her one day about it. And she said, oh, to me, she just called me Kenneth. I was just a boy, just in my late teens, you see. She's 82 or 3. She said, Kenneth, she said, oh, those Pentecostal people, those full gospel people, uh, they know God. She said, you know, I went to visit my, uh, some her, her kinfolks in California. And they went to Angela's Temple. And in those days, Miss McPherson was alive. And Angela's Temple was booming. And they have prayer there every day. And they still do. And how for all these many years. 
And so she said, I went to the prayer tower with these cousins of mine. And, and they pray over these requests that were sent in. Uh, 24 hours a day, there's prayer going on there and has been ever since 1923. And so she said, uh, they gave me some requests and I prayed over them my way. But said some of these other folks began to pray in this strange language. And said, I, I never heard anything like that. She said, I just stopped and said, what is this? What is this? And said, the Spirit of God within me said, that's just a deeper dimension of me. And said, I just sat there quietly and reverently and marvel. Praise God. But now you see, she didn't have that experience. But yet she recognized the Spirit of God. And she recognized this fact, that this was God moving. And in her life, you could see the fruit of the Spirit in such great proportion. Well, this is not the fruit of being baptized of the Holy Ghost or fruit of the Holy Ghost. This is the fruit of the born again, recreated human spirit. It's the fruit that grows in our spirits and in our lives because of the life of Christ within. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Well, we're talking about the development of the human spirit. And if we're going to develop, we're going to have to develop in these fruit or this fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that right? Amen. And that means then develop in love. John even talks about being made perfect in love. I don't know anybody that's got there yet, but I sure want to get there. John even talks about, doesn't it, being made perfect in love. In that first epistle, there's a lot said about love in there. I like to feed on First John. Praise God. But remember this, that love, love, the love of God, the Bible said. Now, not, not human love. Human love is fickle. Human love is selfish. Human love is just out for what I want, me, mine, I, 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 I. But divine love is unselfish. Read the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Again, I think it's to be regretted that the King James translation, they translated that word charity. It's love. And he goes on to tell you about love. I like the amplified translation on it. But you'll read, it would pay every Christian, really, particularly if you want to grow in love, just to read every single day for 30 days. The amplified translation of 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4, and reading down through verse 8. Read the Amplified Translation. King James Translation is beautiful, but Amplified Translation makes it more real yet. Read that every day for 30 days, and the more you'll read it and meditate on it, the more that love that's already in you will grow and will develop. And you need to learn to let that love that's in there develop. Now, notice what he said. I'll read King James. I don't have Amplified here. Charity, well, love. Love suffereth long and is kind. Well, now you see, a lot of people suffer long because they have to, but they're not kind while they do it. But love suffereth long is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up does not behave itself unseemly. Love seeketh not her own. It's not selfish. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Love never fails. But whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But thank God, love never faileth. Now read Amplified Translation on that. I would encourage you to read that every single day. Meditate on it then for 30 days and see if your spirit hadn't developed in love. We need to learn to let our spirits dominate us, not our natural minds. We need to get our minds renewed with the Word of God as we've been teaching you all right so that our spirits through the renewed mind can dominate our bodies. I use this illustration in teaching on faith and teaching there in Mark, the 11th chapter, the 23rd and 24th, well, 22 through 26, 
where Jesus said, have faith in God or have the faith of God. For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says, shall cut to pass, shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore said you what things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And in teaching on the fundamental facts of faith, I pointed out that faith will not work when there's an air of unforgiveness about you. Because he said, when you stand praying, forgive if you have all. And I used an illustration of an experience that my wife and I had. In the month of March 1956, in the western part of the nation, in fact, we were preaching in Vancouver, Washington, not Vancouver, B.C., Canada, but Washington. And there was a, a minister and his wife. I'd met him before at a convention that I'd preached. And they invited us out to eat a little sandwich after church. And we were sitting there in the restaurant eating. And she said, Brother Hagin, you've just got me all mixed up. You've just got me all mixed up and confused. Well, I said, no, I haven't got you confused. You was confused before I got here. The, the light of God's Word just showed up the confusion. Well, I had preached, and, and in my sermon, I'd used the text that I read to you a while ago. We know we pass in death and life because of other brethren and surrounding Scripture in there said, He that loveth not his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And so I quoted that Scripture in my message, and I don't know how come it is said. Read it, the Spirit of God inspired me to say it. And I quoted the verse, He that hateth his brother's a murderer, and I said, that means mother-in-law too. And so she said, he that hates his mother-in-law, and that meant she that hates her, her mother-in-law, as well as he that hates his mother-in-law, is a murderer. I said, that's right, that's right, that's what the Bible said. What's your problem? She said, I hate my mother-in-law. <laughs> I hate my mother-in-law. Well, I said, well, I can't change the Bible just to suit you. I mean, if you hate your mother-in-law, you're a murderer. They don't have any eternal life abiding in you. I was brought up, you know, my mother and daddy. They were full gospel preachers. They were full gospel pastors. I was born in a, in a full gospel parsonage. I was raised up in the full gospel church. I got saved in early age and spoke with other tongues. Went away to one of the leading full gospel Bible schools. That's where she met her husband. And I knew all that. I said, well, I don't care what she was raised up in. <laughs> That's got nothing to do with it, really. I mean, if you hate your mother-in-law, you're a murderer. If you hate your mother-in-law, you don't have eternal life abiding in you. Or if you hate anybody, as far as that's concerned, your dad-in-law, your uncle, your aunt, or outlaw, or in-law, or any other law, whoever it is, it's just that simple. I know it's plain, but it's just that simple. But the real truth about the matter is this. And here's what folks need to see. And I knew it was so with her. She said, well, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I saw that I just about drowned her. You know what I mean by that, you know. I was sitting right across the table from her. Look me right in the eye and say, I hate my mother-in-law. And the same time, check down here in your spirit and see what's happening down there. So she looked across there at me and said, I hate my mother-in-law. I said, what happened down here? She said, there's something down there scratching me. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's your spirit. That's your spirit, and that's the love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart, your heart, your spirit. That's the love of God trying to constrain you. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. That's the love of God down there trying to get your attention. You're just talking out of your head. Unrenewed mind. Don't care if you had graduated from Bible school. Don't care if you and her husband had been out in the ministry. Don't care if they are ordained ministers. Her mind had never been renewed with the Bible, with the Scriptures. Don't care if she could memorize scriptures. Don't care if she could quote scriptures. Amen. Preach sermons. Teach Sunday school lessons. Her mind never been renewed with the word of God. And that own unrenewed mind would side in with her body. And her body through her mind would control her spirit instead of her spirit that's born again filled with the Holy Ghost and got the love of God in it. He didn't say the love of God's been shed abroad in our heads. He didn't say the love of God's been shed abroad in our bodies. He said, the love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts. Your heart's your spirit. Let your spirit dominate you, not your flesh. See, that's where we get in trouble. That's where we get in trouble. People let their old flesh, somebody does something, hurts their feelings, and they flare up. And they're letting their flesh dominate. Well, you can't do me that way and get by with it, bless God. <laughs> oh, dear. 
I'm not going to take that. You know, she said, love endureth all things. Don't shout me down. I cause I'm preaching real good. <laughs> I'm just not going to take that. Love, it said, beareth all things. I'm not going to take that. Well, you see, you're letting your flesh dominate you, and that's what's happened with her and her unrenewed mind. She said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I said, let that love that's in you dominate you. Let your spirit dominate you. Quit letting your natural mind dominate you. I said, the love's in there. Yeah, she said, something's down there on the inside. I said, let that dominate you. Well, a few nights later, she asked my wife, went through my wife to ask if we had come to the house on Friday night after church. Said, you know, I've invited my sisters-in-laws and my mother-in-laws over for refreshments. And so I said to my wife, yeah, we'll go. And so we went. She slipped around and said to me, said, you're exactly right. I don't hate them. They're good people. They're wonderful people. Love the Lord. She was letting her flesh dominate her. The spirit should dominate us. Our spirits. Our spirit. Now go back there to Galatians now, and you can understand what he's saying here now if you realize that he's really talking about the human spirit here and not the Holy Spirit. Now, start in with that 16th verse. Well, even before we get to the 16th verse. Notice what he said. For all the law, 14th verse, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say, then walk in the Spirit. Now that's not referring to the Holy Spirit again, that's referring to your spirit. Instead of walking in your fleshly nature, or if your mind's unrenewed in your mind, mental nature, walk in your spirit. Let your spirit nature dominate you. What is your spirit nature? Here it is. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Huh? Walk in that. Isn't that what he's saying? Sure, that's what he's saying. Sure, that's what he's saying. Absolutely. The fruit of the born-again recreated human spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering. Remember back over there it said, Love suffereth long and is kind while it does it. Boy, boy, boy. <laughs> Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. All right, walk in those things. Walk in your spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What the battle here is, is between the human spirit and the human flesh. Now, let's go on reading. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. The battle's not between the Holy Spirit and your flesh. See, they capitalized the letter S there again, made it spirit, thinking it was called the Holy Spirit. The battle's between your spirit and your flesh. The battle, you know just as well as I know, the problem is between your spirit, which is the inward man and the outward man. Now, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to let the inward man, which is your spirit, dominate. Walk in your spirit. What does that mean, walk in your spirit? How can you do that? Walk in love. That's the fruit of the spirit. Walk in love. Walk in joy. Walk in peace. Walk in long-suffering. Walk in kindness. Walk in meekness. Walk in faithfulness. Walk in temperance. And you're walking in your spirit. See, there's where the fight is. It isn't between my flesh and the Holy Spirit. It's between my spirit and my flesh. And so he said, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Easy enough to know what he's talking about the flesh. That's your body. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you're led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, that can refer either to the Holy Spirit or the human spirit. Now, I want to show you something. I'm going to prove that to you by the Bible. If you're led to the Spirit, now just stop and make that your human spirit for a minute, and I'll show you something. You remember Proverbs 20, 27? The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? That means God's going to lead you through your spirit. Sure, it's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that deals with your spirit, but it's your spirit that He's leading you through. The spirit, Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Well, now what does that mean? The spirit of man, the Martin says, the lamp of the Lord. That means that the Lord is going to enlighten you. The Lord is going to guide you through your spirit. 
Is that right? Well, then, if you're going to walk in the, in the Spirit, you have to walk in your Spirit. In other words, let your Spirit dominate you. Well, what does that mean, walk in the Spirit? What does that mean if you're led of the Spirit? Let your Spirit lead you. Someone said it might be wrong. No, it's not wrong if it's born again. It's got the nature of God in it. It's got the fruit of God in it. Love, joy, peace. Are you following me? And so on. And besides that, if the Holy Ghost is leading you, he's leading you through your spirit anyway. Because the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. As many as are led by the spirit. Hallelujah. He said over into Romans something about that, about being led by the spirit. But here he said, the fifth chapter of Galatians, but if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. That 19th verse, the works of the flesh. Now notice the beginning of that 22nd verse, but the fruit of the Spirit. What's he doing here? He's contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, the inward man, the human spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Can you see it? That's what he's doing. The works of the flesh the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now, you know that's strange. He doesn't even call that the works of the devil. He said it's the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. He still even doesn't even call witchcraft the works of the devil. It's the works of the flesh. The devil may be behind it, but if you don't listen to the devil, he can't do anything. Are you listening to me? Amen. Works of the flesh. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like of which I tell you before as I've also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's contrasting the works of the flesh with the, we might call them the works of the spirit, the human spirit, the fruit of the recreated, born again, human spirit. That's what he's doing. But the fruit of the spirit, oh hallelujah, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, actually is what the Greek says instead of faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. Now, back up there just a minute. I don't know whether I'm helping you or not. I'm preaching me happy. Praise God. That's good eating. That'll feed your spirit. Now, back up here just a minute. Against such there is no law. What? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, Back up there to that 18th verse. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. See then, that word Spirit cannot refer to the Holy Spirit. It has to be the human spirit. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's, are you His? Thank God I am. Have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Hallelujah. Oh, no, I mean, it hurts to die. Some folks always want you to cast the devil out of them. No, it's the flesh that they need to crucify, and they don't want to do it because it hurts. They don't want to be out anything. They want all the gravy, so to speak, but they don't want to put forth any effort. You're going to have to do it. Did you notice he said, they that are Christ, they have crucified. They that are Christ have crucified. Didn't say Christ crucified the flesh for you. Remember the text that we used in part of the lesson last night, Romans 12? Go back there and look at it again. It'll help you right now. You'll understand it in light of this verse. You'll understand it better. Wherefore, I beseech you, brethren... See, he's saying the same thing to the Romans that he said to the Galatians, just using different words. Wherefore, I beseech ye, brethren, that you do something with your body. God's not going to do anything with your body. He did something with your spirit. He imparted eternal life to your spirit. Your spirit's born again. Your spirit's got the life and the nature of God in it. 
Your spirit's become a new man in Christ Jesus, but you got the same body you always had. And it'll want to keep on doing sometimes some of the same things you always did. What are you going to do? Well, here he said to the Galatians to crucify the flesh. That is, the things that it wants to do wrong, don't let it do it. Here he said, I beseech ye, brethren, you're going to do it, not God. I beseech ye, brethren, that ye present your body. Who's going to present your body? Me? No, I can't do it. It's not my body. It's your body. You present your bodies under God, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Another translation said, which is your spiritual service. Hallelujah. All right. So, you see, the fight here is between the inward man and the outward man or your spirit and your flesh. Now, your spirit's born again. Your spirit's filled with the Holy Spirit. Your spirit has the, the fruit here. Develop it. Grow in it, praise God. Present your body to God a living sacrifice. Crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. Don't let your body dominate you. You dominate it. Amen. Are you listening to me? That's what he's talking about. That's exactly what he's talking about. Notice here in the scripture also as we read a little further. If we live in the spirit, that's not talking about the Holy Spirit again. See, instead of living in your fleshly nature, he'd already told you what all those works of the flesh are up there. He already told you that. But instead of living in that, live in your spirit nature. Let your spirit dominate you. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Hallelujah to Jesus. Glory to God. Well, I don't know whether it helps you or not, but I've already preached me happy. Praise his holy name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Now then, remember another scripture we looked at last night? Let's look at it again. Turn to John's gospel with me, please. The 14th chapter of the gospel according to St. John. Jesus said some things here about the Holy Spirit. He said in the 14th chapter, and in the 16th and 17th verses, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And as we pointed out, but some translations read, he'll give you another helper. Actually, the Greek word translated comforter means one called alongside to help. Now, what is this helper? Who is this helper? Who is this comforter? Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I like another translation. He said, I'll not leave you helpless. Thank God he didn't leave us helpless. The church is not helpless. I will not leave you helpless. I'll come unto you. Now look into the 15th chapter of John's Gospel. And look at the 26th verse. But when the comforter, when the helper, when the spirit of truth has come, that he spoke about in the 14th chapter, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, see he calls him the spirit of truth again, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now look into the 16th chapter of John's Gospel, and Jesus said something else about the Spirit of truth. 16th chapter of John, the 13th and 14th verses. How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Now I like another translation here. It said, when the spirit of reality is come, he'll guide you into all reality. That's the reality of the spirit, reality of spiritual things. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. See, he's going to show you 
The things are mine, he's going to show them to you. But all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore, said I, he shall take a mine and show it unto you. Well, he's going to show you all things that the Father has. That's what the Holy Ghost is going to do. Praise God forevermore. Jesus is saying to us that this comforter, whom he calls the spirit of truth, of reality, will guide you, will guide me into all reality, into all truth. He'll take the things of Jesus and of the Father and unveil them to us. Well, that's what our hearts are longing for. That's what our hearts are craving. That's what our hearts are yearning for. Now, he's not going to guide you into natural human things. He said he'll take the things of mine and show them to you. He's not going to guide you into natural human knowledge. He's talking about revelation knowledge here. Praise God. That's what he's talking about, revelation knowledge. He's going to guide you into all truth. We could call it knowledge. He's going to guide you into all knowledge, spiritual knowledge, revelation knowledge. He's going to take the wonderful truths that are unveiled by the Spirit of God in the Pauline epistles that were unveiled to Paul, and he's going to unveil them, the reality of them, unto my spirit and unto your spirit. That's what he's going to do. And some people thought all he's going to do was give mutterance in tongues. No, that's just the beginning of it, part of it. In order, listen carefully now, in order for that to happen, in order for him, the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality, the helper, the comforter, to guide you into all truth, to guide you into all reality, to take the things of mine and reveal them to you or unveil them to you, and all things of the Father are mine, he said. So the things of God, all of them, not part of it, all of it, and unveil it to you. In order for him to do that, then you're going to have to take time to do with an, as another scripture that we gave to you, and that was Joshua 1, 8, about God said to Joshua 2, not let this word of the Lord depart out of thy mouth, but meditate therein day and night, that thy way may be as prosperous and that you may have good success. Well, now paraphrasing that in the New Testament language, he's just simply saying, take time to meditate upon the Word of God, on the New Covenant, the New Testament, and let the Spirit unveil that to your spirit. Now, turn with me to Colossians. Did you why you shout and close tonight? Turn over here to Colossians, the third chapter of Colossians, and the 16th verse. What is it that we're to do? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that sounds a whole lot like something that Jesus said. In John's gospel, the 15th chapter, we were there a while ago and read the 26th verse, but look at the 7th verse. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Now watch it. Watch it. Paul said to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Jesus said, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Now before we go further, let me say this. Under the new covenant, God said to Joshua, way back there in Joshua 1.8, for him to let not the words of this law, the old covenant, depart out of his mouth but for him to meditate therein day and night. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. Now, under the new covenant, which is our covenant, he's saying to us that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. See, now notice what he said. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. That's something you do. That's not something God does. Are you following me? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We are to abide in the word. And the word is to abide in us. Well, now Christ is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. 
All things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we're in him. Hallelujah. But he didn't just say, if ye abide in me. He said, and my words abide in you. Now, if he had just said, if ye abide in me, we'd all automatically had me. But he said, and my words abide in you. That sounds a whole lot like what Paul's saying there, isn't it? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God has given us this holy written word. Jesus is the living word. But God has given us this holy written word that unveils unto us the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. That unveils to us what he did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. That unveils for us what he did in his great plan of redemption that the Father planned and the Lord Jesus Christ consummated. Reveals and unveils to us who we are in Christ and what we are in Christ and our rights and privileges. Praise God forevermore. That's spiritual development. And so he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he said, if you abide in me and my words, how is the word of Christ going to dwell in you richly? By letting his words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. How is his words going to abide in us? By us meditating on them by us feeding on them, by us living the Word, by us acting the Word, by us being doers of the Word. Remember James talked about being doers and not just hearers only? He said, he that's a hearer of the Word and not a doer has deceived himself. Now we lay it off on the devil a lot of times, but we've got a lot of self-deluded people among us. They've deceived themselves. They heard the Word, but they didn't do it. That's the way the Word gets in you. That's the way the Word abides in you is by you first feeding on it, thinking on it, meditating on it, and then do it. Then do it. You become a partaker of the Word. Let's go a step further here and you'll see something. Under the New Covenant, let me say it again, the Word of Christ dwells in us. We are to abide in the Word and the Word is to abide in us and that will lead us into the prayer life, and that will lead us into prayer conquests. Go back there to John 15, 7, and you can see that's the point. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will. Think about that. Isn't that a tremendous statement? Go back and read that with me, because I want you to get the eighth verse also. And that's John 15th chapter. That seventh verse, Jesus said, and notice now, notice something here. I asked you, did you wear your shouting clothes? I know about you, but I'm about to have a running spell. <laughs> Praise God. I just had to control myself. I'm like to took off there. <laughs> we stopped reading in this 15th chapter of John a little bit earlier because there was another point I wanted to make with you about I am the vine, ye are the branches, and so on. We stop reading with that sixth verse. But you see, the seventh and the eighth verse goes right along, right along with those other six verses. Are you following me? Now, read it again if you would like. I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. All right. He's talking about branches bearing fruit. We know that the branch is us. We know that the branch is our born again, recreated human spirit. We know that some fruit that he's talking about has to be the fruit of the spirit that Paul talked about, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, and so on. All right. That's part of it. But that's not all of it. Now listen. And every branch that beareth not fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. Well, down there in the 17th verse, 7th verse, if ye abide in me, still talking about the same thing. If ye abide in me. All right, here he said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. 
He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth. How much? Little dab? Little dab will do you? No. Much fruit. Much fruit. You want to be a fruit-bearing Christian? Well, it not only includes the fruit of the recreated, born against human spirit, but let's go on reading it. We'll find out what kind of fruit he's talking about here. Much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. I see, that's not all he said. That's all I read a while ago because I was establishing another thought that I am the vine, you are the branches, that we are the fruit-bearing part. And that the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about is the fruit of the born-again, recreated human spirit, the fruit that grows on the branch because of the life within, the life of Christ. Now, if ye abide in me, let just pick up the train of thought again here now. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, Ask what who wills? God will? Well, if it's the will of God, he'll do it. That's what I believe. I wonder sometimes if those nuts have ever read the Bible. Bless their darling hearts and stupid heads. <laughs> if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye, or we would say you, shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Hallelujah. Notice something here now before I go further here. And we all have a divine explosion. <laughs> Notice, according to this verse then, whether or not your prayers are heard and answers depends more on you than it does on God. A lot of times we won't leave it up to God. Well, if it's his will... You know, I don't want anything the Lord don't want me to have. If it's his will, I want it. If it's his will, he'll do it. Think you're being humble. Don't know they're being stupid. <laughs> being humble means to submit yourself to the word of God. That's not submitting yourself to the word of God. And let me say it again. In the final analysis... Whether or not your prayers are heard or answered depends more on you than it does God. See, we want to leave it up to God all the time. But if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, he tells you here how you can ask what you will and it will be done. He tells you exactly. It's by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. You shall ask what you will. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, I've always believed that. I remember my wife and I on one occasion. We went with another minister's wife down in Texas, drove 300 and some odd miles to another minister's home. His wife was bedfast with cancer, July of 1949. Bedfast, given up to die, now it become bedfast, on her deathbed. We prayed for two days and nights in 1949. Two days and nights for that dear woman. We slept about four hours a night and ate one meal, and the rest of the time we was in that room praying constantly. The second night when we laid out about four o'clock in the morning, this pastor that I went with, we, we laid out on a mattress in the living room. They didn't have that many bedrooms in that parsonage. And I turned and said to him, you know, since 1934, this is 1949, 15 years, I've never prayed this long for anything without getting it. Something's wrong somewhere. We was in a little town in West Texas, had one radio station there, a town about 15,000 population. I said, if the radio in your car didn't get this local station, you wouldn't phone up there and say, you better have your radio station fixed. My radio won't get it. No, you'd have the receiver worked on. I said, we've been shouting at God for two days and nights. God healed this woman. Oh, God healed her. I didn't know as much then as I know. I'm telling you how I found out a lot of things I know. Oh, God healed us. I said, see, we worked entirely on the sending end. 
Oh, God, healer. Oh, God, come on the scene. Oh, God, do this. Oh, God, do that. Oh, God. Like one fellow was holding a meeting for one night. Bless his darling heart. Full gospel pastor down in Texas. He and I would come to the church early and get in the prayer room behind the platform and pray. And I'll tell you, I don't mind people praying out loud. I pray out loud myself as long as they're scriptural. But when they get unscriptural, it just bothers me. Rubs me the wrong way. And every night he'd pray and pray and the way he'd pray is out of the will of God and, and he couldn't get anything. His spirit knew it and his head didn't have enough sense to get it. And so he, he knew on the inside of him he just felt like I'm a missing it. And he'd close out every night. He'd just in a sing-song fashion for 15, 20, or 30 minutes in a sing-song fashion. Oh, God, move, God. Oh, God, do something. My God, do something. You see, if he don't have revival and something don't happen, he's done for at that church. He's got to leave. And incidentally, he did. He's never done anything since then. And probably shouldn't have been there to begin with. But anyway, oh, God, do something. My God, just a begging God. Well, I'd get up and get away from him. I don't like unbelief, whatever it's coming out of. Finally, one night, we was getting down towards the end. Nothing's happening. Finally, one night, he's out. Oh, God, do something. And he'd holler, some way, somehow. 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 Oh, my God, move. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Some way. You think that's monotonous. Oh, that's just the beginning. He'd go, he'd, he'd go on that way anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes every night, never less than 15, and sometimes even 30. That's the way he closed his prayer out every night. He's 30 minutes in closing. And... <laughs> Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Get on your nerves. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Him a hollering. Some way, somehow. Oh my God, he said, some way, somehow. Tears in his voice, you know. Desperate, bless his heart, you felt so sorry for him. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. My God, move, he said. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Well, I didn't have as much nerve as I do now, and I might not have that much nerve yet, but I, I wanted to just jump up, run over there, and grab him by the shoulders and shake him till his teeth rattled and say, shut up. <laughs> Jesus is the way, and the Holy Ghost is the how. Amen. Amen. There's no use of hollering some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. Jesus is the way, and the Holy Ghost is the how. But I didn't do it. And he kept a hollering some way, somehow. Some, every night. You think a fellow having to preach after hearing that from 15 to 30 minutes every night. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow. My God, move some way, somehow. And of course, the more he hollered, the more he prayed it, the further away from God he got because it's all unbelief. And I never will forget it. We was getting down towards the end of the meeting and he is getting desperate. Oh, my God, he said. Oh, some way, somehow. He'd been a hollering sing-song fashion. Some way, somehow, for I don't know how long. Finally, he blurted out. Oh, God, he said. Move, Lord, by some hook or crook. <laughs> Why, God's not moving. God's not moving by hooks and crooks. He wanted God to move so desperately. Missed the whole thing. God doesn't move by hooks and crooks. Amen. He said, if ye abide in me, if ye abide in me, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you won't need any hooks and crooks. <laughs> You'll ask what ye will. Ye shall ask whatsoever ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And it shall be done unto you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Hallelujah. That don't sound like hooks and crooks, does it? That's plain. So I said to this pastor, I haven't prayed this long two days and nights in 15 years without getting an answer. And I sure hate to start it now. We're wrong. We're wrong. We've been working on the sending in. Oh, God heal the woman. My God heal the woman. My God heal this preacher's wife. My God heal this woman. She shouldn't be dying at 40 some odd years of age with cancer. I bed fast. 
I said, in the morning now, when we go in there, well, really the same morning, because it's four o'clock in the morning, we slept about four hours or three hours and a half, and eight o'clock was there in the room again, the third morning. And uh, he said, you tell them that in the morning. So we gathered there, the woman on the bed, her husband, the pastor in the room, this pastor's wife, my wife and I, and uh, this pastor said, Brother Hagin, tell them what you told me. So I told them what I told him. And the woman on the bed began to cry. I said, oh, it's me, it's me, I know it's me. He said, I've I missed it and failed in so many ways. And I, I said, oh, no, 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 you missed it entirely. You missed it entirely. That's not what I'm talking about. Maybe you did miss it. Maybe you have even sinned. But who of us is it that hasn't missed it? Is anybody here in this crowd tonight that's never missed it? Stand up. We'll give an altar call for liars right now and get you saved. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Isn't that right? I said, sure, you may have missed it. But you asked the Lord to forgive you, didn't you? Sure. I said, well, he did it. Forget it. Forget it. He's forgotten it. You forget it. That's not what I'm talking about working on this end. I said, let's concentrate in our prayers on the receiving end. Let's say, Lord, where did, not where you missed it because he hadn't missed it. Quit hollering at God, trying to get him to come down and come by because he's already here. He's not going to come down anywhere or come by anywhere. <laughs> Let's concentrate on this end. Say, Lord, where are we missing it? Show us what we should do here in this case. Well, he said, that sounds good to us. About that time the telephone rang, the pastor had to go. He got a telephone call. He had to go somewhere. So it left the woman, his wife, on the bed, bed fast. My wife and the other pastor's wife who went with us kneeling on that side of the bed. This pastor and myself kneeling on this side of the bed. I'm kneeling up here towards the head of the bed. And we're all praying out loud. A little old bedroom, you know, maybe 12 by 14. Just a small bedroom. You know, you, you shut your eyes in the sheetrock wall and your voices bounce on. Oh, you couldn't have located anybody there with your eyes shut. So I'm just praying, all of us praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues after we'd already asked in English that he'd show us. We hadn't been praying 10 minutes till the word of the Lord came unto me saying, go stand at the foot of the bed. So I went down there and stood at the foot of the bed and stood there with my eyes open wondering and seeing what God was going to do. My wife suddenly stood up. Now she had her eyes shut. You couldn't, if you were to shut your eyes, five adults in a little old room there. I said 12 or 14. I don't think the room was over 10 by 12. Because me standing at the foot of the bed, I was almost back against the wall. And that bed was only six feet long. It couldn't have been over 10 feet because it wasn't over me standing there. There couldn't have been over three feet between me and the back wall. And so I'm standing there. You see what's happening. And my wife suddenly stands up. All five of us praying out loud another tongue. You shut your eyes. Yeah, because I did it, and you couldn't locate a person because all your voices are bouncing off those walls. But she came and stood at the foot of the bed. She said, the Spirit of God said, there, go stand at the foot of the bed. She didn't know I was standing down there. She never opened eyes. didn't even know she was talking to me. When she got down there, the tongues changed. She is praying in tongues, and she spoke in tongues, in other tongues, in divers tongues. She had been praying in an unknown tongue, and in a prior tongue, now she spoke in divers tongues, which are two different things. She spoke in tongues, and I heard it in English. No interpretation. I heard it just like she was speaking to me in English. She said, go stand at the head of the bed and say, come out thy spirit of fear and doubt. I moved to the head of the bed. And when I did, that spirit was in this woman. Now, not using her mouth, but spoke up in the spirit realm because her body is affected. She's a minister of the gospel. And he just spoke right up and said, I'm not coming out before I ever did anything. And I said, yes, you are. Come out your spirit of fear and doubt. I was looking at the woman. I had my eyes open. The Bible said, watch and pray. And she started out with cancer, the cancer of the left breast and eating all back up under her arm, you see. And there I was watching and I saw something come up from her body that looked like a black puff of smoke or a big black bat. Came up from her body, went right by me in between me and Pastor Wood and went out the window. Brother Wood never saw it. He turned to me real quick and said, something went by there right then. I said, yeah, I know it. The woman rose right out of the bed immediately and began to praise God. She's bed fast. Went out in the backyard and ate watermelon with us. Now, Brother Wood said, Brother Wood said, he, we, we went in the living room. This woman went in the living room. Kneel and get up and praise God. Said, Brother Hagin said, you may wonder why I'm kneeling, but I haven't been able to kneel for so many months, you know, and lift my hands. I couldn't lift my hands and praise God. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful to be free. And Brother Wood said, I stand in that window and that thing come back up that window and tried to come in. He didn't see it like I did. See, God gave me discerning of spirits. But just, just any Christian ought to know that. I mean, he sensed the presence of it. He said, I said, no, you don't. You don't come back in here. 
and it left in the name of Jesus. Now, what I'm saying to you is this. I want you to see something. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ought to get answers. If you're not getting answers, it's because you're not abiding in him and his words are not abiding in you, as it should I'm talking about. Let's go on reading here. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein, see he's not through yet. Look at the eighth verse. Herein is my Father glorified. How is he glorified? That ye bear much fruit. What is the fruit? Don't take that out of its setting. What is the fruit that he wants you to, to bear? Much of it. The prayer fruit. Most churches, bless their darling hearts, even full gospel, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, divine healing-believing churches are not producing enough fruit to fill a peck basket. You understand that kind of language? Some of you youngins might not. Well, that's not much. But he wants us to bear fruit. What kind of fruit are you talking about here? Prayer fruit. This will lead by the word dwelling, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, us abiding in Christ, his word abiding in us will lead into the prayer life and to prayer conquests. Hallelujah. Herein, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He's talking about the branches bearing fruit. And he talks about you've got to abide in me and me in you. And he talks about if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, Hallelujah to Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Praise God. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.